Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to this week's episode of the Believe in Miami Heat podcast. I'm your host, Sean Rochester, and with me as always, 6'2 point guard from Cleveland State University, Norris Cole. The champ is in the building, ladies and gentlemen, Heat Nation. The champ has arrived. So, Norris, before we get started, just update us, you know, what's going on in your world this week? I'm in Paris. I had two games in Paris. I had one a couple days ago, and I have another one um, tomorrow night. So, just been preparing for that and getting ready to end this season on a strong note. The team's still playing well. I think last time we talked, you had won 11 or 12 straight. Yeah, we uh no, we broke the streak. You know, we lost the game, but we're in first place. We're still okay. in first place, uh, which is which is a good thing. And you know, we're looking forward to you know ending the season in first place. And what do you move into? Is it a playoff? Well, this with this being the COVID season, you know, it's it's kind of complicated how the season is going to end. And I don't really be asking them that many questions. I just got, <laughs> I just you know keep winning, keep playing. You know, win as many games as we can. You know, but we had to make up a lot of games because of COVID. And so that's what we're in the process of doing now. We, we're doing a lot, a lot of makeup games. And then, you know, later on, the league will let us know, you know, playoff dates and, you know. Not to get too sidetracked, but wh- when was the last time you were back here in the States? Well, I'm in the States every summer. Just kind of thinking about how, you know, like how long have you been over there and how things have changed with COVID, you know, like compared to here? Oh, man. So uh, this whole season, basically, we were in quarantine. They just opened up outside restaurants like a week ago. So America is moving a little bit faster than Europe. Uh, well, in, in France, because different parts of Europe have different rules. But in France, they took the conservative route. They just opened up a couple of weeks ago, um, outside dining and movie theaters and stuff like that. And I think, matter of fact, tomorrow, they're pushing the curfew back to 11 o'clock and stores and things will be able to be open even later. So they're they're progressing but they progressed a little bit slower than in the States. The States is like basically wide open, been wide open. <laughs> I live here in Philadelphia. And as you get outside the city in the suburbs, you don't have to wear a mask as much, mm-hmm. but it's definitely weird. Like I, I can tell you, like when, when I've been to a gas station or been to a restaurant and you walk in, it's almost like you feel like you're doing something wrong. Like you're looking around, like is somebody going right. to yell at me? Is somebody going to tell me to do something? It's going to be, exactly. it's going to be definitely weird adjusting back to normal. You know, our, our weirdness has become new normal. Of, new sense of normal. Yeah, exactly. The old, the old normal is no more. So yeah. it's going to be a new. It's going to be a new normal. So let's jump into the basketball. So um, this week, talking about the Miami Heat, one of the main things that happened last week was the Pat Riley press conference, and he he usually does this uh, at the end of the season, um, kind of a uh, talk about the team, the state of the team where we're going forward, recapping, you know, he talks about some players. We could spend a whole episode talking about the different things that Pat said and breaking down his quotes. He's obviously great when he gets in front of a mic and saying things. Uh, there's probably nobody better him. than him. <laughs> yeah, you got to decode him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, one of the things that I took away was he basically said that he was confident in the team's nucleus, but he also knows what they need to do. In asking you, Norris, if you had to identify – one priority addition and not necessarily like give me a player's name. That's going to be a free agent that we need to add, but like a type of player, do you think we need pick and roll point guard or whether it's a stretch big or a a rebounding forward or a three level score? You know, if there's one thing, the mold of what we need to add, what would you say? So I would say one thing I would definitely say a dynamic score, regardless of the position, whether it's a four man or a wing or a guard, you know, they need someone who can put the ball in the basket in a plethora of ways, you know, who could do it at a, 
high efficiency at a high clip because as much defense as the Miami Heat played this year were great defensively, but the fundamental point of basketball is to put the ball in the hole. Teams that have that on their team are the better team. Teams who have the more dynamic scores, um, those are the teams that are still playing in the playoffs right now. So you got to have Got to have that that scoring. I'm sure as you're watching some of these playoff games, I know you got to stay up late to do that or you watch them the next mm-hmm. day. But, you know, you can definitely, when you're thinking about the Miami Heat and how they compare offensively, almost across the board, you look at those teams and they are so much more dynamic than us. They have so many more options than we do. It's probably something where we're not adding just one. It's, it's going to be quite a few pieces that we need to add to fix the deficiencies that we had. Is, is there anything else? You know, I, I know I nailed you down to one thing, but what else do you think needs to be in a, a priority? Um, well, you can always address the depth. You know, having a, having a good starting five is one thing, but you have to have depth that can come in and play at a high level and come in and hold leads and come in to, you know, if you're down, that can cut the leads in half, bring the team spark, bring the team energy. Um, so I think addressing their depth is uh, is going to be something that they look into for sure. Um, those are the two things right off the rip that I can that I can think of that would make the Miami Heat a threat once again. You know, if they get another dynamic score, get some depth off the bench, I believe they could be right back in the mix. I think we're going to be active. I know we don't have any draft picks this year, but uh, yeah. Riley he hinted towards being active. Um, you're certainly still looking at undrafted players and summer league type guys to try to find those gems. And, you know, like we talked about last week, Andy Ellisberg is the best in the business at making For sure he's going to find a way to get these these pieces to fit. So, well, there's a lot of pieces that have value on the team now. Sure. There's a lot of trade value on the team now. And so even though they don't have any draft picks, there's players that are young that have a lot of value in this league. And there's also some older players that still have some value on expiring contracts, et cetera, that, you know, can can make the trade market very, very interesting. Yeah, and I think there's only five guys that are actually under contract for sure. We have a couple of team options, like you talked about, Goran and Iguodala both have team options. And right. those are interesting pieces because they're older players. You can opt into those deals as a team, and then they're expiring contracts that are very tradable. And, and you know, we both appreciate and love what those guys have done over their careers and what they've done in Miami, but you're also looking to improve the team, and they might be – chips that other teams you know that are trying to win right now could definitely look to get yeah i i wasn't gonna say those two but yeah not just them you know it's, it's there's multiple combinations of players that can bring forth some great trade values <laughs> whether it be draft picks players for draft picks whether it be a package of younger players and an older older player to bring in one or two high level players you, you know there's a lot of it's a lot of combinations that the that the Heat can use to to bring in what they need, and I, I know I know the Zen Master Pat Riley. I know he's not afraid if he sees something that he likes, he's not afraid to pull the trigger. That's for sure. Yeah, we know that. I mean, yes, over, the, over sure. the last what twenty five years, I mean, he's done it over and over and over. So, absolutely, trust in Pat for sure. Yeah, um, Pat, I'm ready. By the way, <laughs> you saw I clipped that last week. I got that out there. I tried to. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah, I know. I'm gonna try to. I'm gonna keep pushing it. So yeah. You know, so, now, nah, on a serious note, though, I am ready though. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a good transition. You know, um, I, I heard this on another show, and, and credit to Ethan Skolnick, Five Reasons Sports, for coming up with this kind of idea. And I want to pass it by you because I, I think they co- they come up with a good point of over the Heat's history, we've done a really good job in our development program of maximizing talent, finding guys that maybe weren't as valued other places or weren't as valued in the draft, 
Um, mm-hmm. You know, if you just look in recent years, Josh Richardson, Justice Winslow, Derek Jones Jr., Hassan Whiteside, James Johnson, Dion Waiters, Rodney Magruder, Willie Reed, you know, and further and further back, you can keep doing this. Kendrick Nunn. I mean, he's like a perfect example of that. But when you look at those, and, and there's examples of, of success stories for 25 years since Pat's came. Mm-hmm. But a lot of these guys have been successful in Miami. And when they move on, whether it's to get a better contract, whether they've been traded or whatever it may be, there seems to be a drop. And Josh yeah. Richardson right now is a great example in Dallas where he was in the Jimmy Butler trade. And, you know, and right. he didn't have a great stop in Philly. And now in Dallas, he's kind of had an up and down, inconsistent time. Do you think that there's anything to like the Heat's ability to maximize players and then maybe they they don't have necessarily the value that it appears uh, that they do in Miami? Uh, I think it's about fit. You know, sometimes something that fits in one place may not be the perfect fit in another place. But in the business of basketball, you know, you have to go as a player. You have to go where the contracts are or you have to go where you're traded to. But I believe it's all about fit. Some players fit better in the Heat system and maybe not in other systems. And then other players don't fit so good in the heat system and fit great, you know, in other systems. So I think it's an individual thing. One thing about the heat, there's they do things a certain way and not all franchises do things that way. So players that are used to the Miami heat way sometimes struggle when they go to another situation that's not structured the same way. Mm-hmm. Sort of like, you know, sort of like kids. You know, kids in the home, very structured, everything goes well, but then you put them in a different environment you know, some of them can't function right because they're not used to that. And so it's the same thing in life and society and same thing with some players. You know, they're, they're very high value in one organization. Go to another organization, different playing style, the value is not there. Uh, but the Heat do a great job of maximizing who they get. And they work you hard, too. <laughs> they yeah. make sure they get it all out of you. And so Kendrick Nunn is a great you know name that you brought up. That's a decision that the Heat have to make. He's a restricted free agent. You know, like you said, he's in his second year. He hasn't had that big payday yet. He deserves money. I mean, let's not get into the numbers, but he deserves a pay raise. I mean, he's certainly runner-up rookie of the year. He had a great season this year. Looking at a player like him, you know, some people say, okay, well, in Miami, he's been very good. Do you think that there's a risk or a fear, I guess, that you have that heat culture? And I know that helps a lot of people, like you said, but if you're a team that's looking at signing Kendrick Nunn or, or you know, there's a, quite a few players this year, do you feel like there's a risk in, in giving him that type of contract that maybe Miami can create guys? No, I don't. Because you get paid off of what you've done. And I believe he's done enough to get paid. And he's young enough to know that he has the potential to be better. And so you also pay because of that. Because obviously there's a lot of guys in this league getting paid off potential that haven't accomplished or done anything. So why why should he get any less? You know, I believe he deserves to get paid. And I believe depending on the style of play that you want to play, you know, he can be an asset for you. If you're a coach or a system that believes in, you know, having guard play that can, you know, get up and down the court, play pick and roll and attack. He, you know, he can play that style. You know, if you're looking for more of a traditional, you know, pass first kind of guard, maybe he may not fit that style, but he's definitely a dynamic scorer who can score in multiple ways and transition behind screens. He can shoot, he can finish mid range. And I think he deserves a, a upgrade to the pay for sure. Yeah, and, and not just him, but Duncan. You know, Duncan's a good example. Is there is there oh, any man. doubt that Duncan Robinson can shoot the ball? Heck no. Oh, I mean, man, one of the top in the league. One but the top if you're not going to run him off of those screens and those dribble handoffs, can he – because he has to get to his shot. 
So exactly. if you're going to not going to create those actions for him, if you have other guys, you know, that aren't, aren't going to set him up like Bam does or like Jimmy does, is he going to yep. be as effective? So that's a great point that you made talking about the fit because it doesn't matter how good you can shoot it if you can't get your shot off, right? Exactly. Fit determines value sometimes. If a team believes you're a perfect fit for them, they're going to value you high and then your pay is, is going to show and vice versa. If they if they believe you can play, but maybe you're not a perfect fit, but you know they have to fill that spot, you know, you'll still get paid, but you may not get you know, what you would get if they believe you were the perfect fit. For sure, in this league, shooters are a premium. Mm-hmm. Shooters are, are well paid, especially high-level shooters like Duncan. So he's going to be getting paid a long time in this league, <laughs> whether it's in Miami or anywhere else. You know, you can never have enough shooting in this NBA. And we know it only takes one team. One team only that values One team got to love you. Only one team. All right, so let's transition to our next topic. So throughout this season, uh, Norris has been picking his cold-blooded player of the week. And so now we're going to transition with the season being over to our cold-blooded team. Let's just start off, Norris. Who do you have on your 2020-2021 cold-blooded team? So I'll get the ones that's obvious first. You got Jimmy Butler, first selection on the all-cold-blooded team. You got Bam out of Bayou, you know, second selection. No, these are the two pillars of our, of our program. And then you have Duncan. Duncan Robinson, you know, his three-point shooting, he had ups and downs. But once he got it going... You know, like I just said, he's one of the best three-point shooters, you know, in the entire league. And then you have, this might be a surprise to some, but Kendrick Nunn makes the all-cold-blooded team. You know, his his play, he's been one of the consistent players on the team. This year, we were consistently inconsistent a lot this season as a team. But he, he was one of the ones that was pretty consistent for the most part. He had his ups and downs, but he was pretty consistent, you know, in how he played. And he raised his level of play you know, uh, after the All-Star break. The final member, Goran Dragic, the Dragon. Once he was able to get healthy, you know, he was able to, you know, be dynamic and score for us. He can start. He can come off the bench. You know, he doesn't complain. He's just a solid pro. You know, that's the, you know, Goran Dragic, Kendrick Nunn, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, Duncan Robinson, the all-cold-blooded team for this season. What are we going to get for our cold-blooded MVP of the season? It was pretty close between Bam and Jimmy Butler, but you know, the cold-blooded MVP definitely goes to Jimmy Butler. You know, the heart and soul of the team. You know, when he plays at a high level, you know, we can we can compete and beat almost anybody. And as you saw, when he struggled, you know, we had a tough time. And so, but Jimmy Butler, you know, his his accountability on and off the floor that he has for the team, he's definitely this season's MVP. And it's crazy and how mm-hmm. quickly people forget. Jimmy Butler had career highs or near career highs and basically – everything across the board and you know, that's you, why that's why i didn't forget that yeah that's why <laughs> that's why you're here <laughs> yes sir yes but sir. uh <laughs> you know that's it's just wild because he had such a good season and we let four games and you could say that about a lot of guys on the heat four right. games is now the talking point of their value yeah well that's that's unfortunate those are casual fans that do that sure. casual short-sighted fans but when you really pay attention to the game jimmy butler is one of the one of the best two-way players in the entire NBA. And we saw what he did in, in the finals um, in the world, the whole playoffs last season. And then this season, you know, COVID affects people, man. And so, you know, when he came back, he was still able to play at a high level, but we all know that without the difficulties of this season, you know, there was another level he probably could have went to. And that went for everyone in the NBA, you know, all the, all the players that were affected by COVID, you, you can tell, you can tell that it takes, it takes a while to come back. Jason Tatum is an example. It took him a while before he was able to, 
come back and we can go name players on and on. But Jimmy, once he was able to finally, I don't know if he ever really got to a hundred percent this season, but sure, once sure. he was able to get to a certain point, you know, he showed that he's one of the top two way players in the league. This rest going, I think this rest is going to help him a lot. He posted on Instagram today. He's back in the gym. He's working out. I, it was partially, it was like a paid promotion type thing. He's, he's cashing some checks with it. For but, sure. You know, that's that's part of the game, right? Play the game within the game. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, you know, that kind of transitions us perfectly. You know, we're now two weeks into our offseason. Uh, some teams mm-hmm. are still playing, obviously, but we're two weeks into our offseason. What does it look like, you know, if you were, let's say you were a member of the Miami Heat this season, what does your offseason look like? You know, at this point, I would imagine you're still taking some time off. You're resting. I've seen pictures of, of guys, you know, in different places. Kendrick Nunn looks like he's somewhere in the Caribbean and, and guys are traveling, but how quickly do you get back to it? And then, you know, what, give us an idea, you know, as you're progressing into the summer, what, what typically are you doing? Well, each player is different depending on their age, depending on how much wear and tear they have on their body, um, depending on their need. For me, I, I normally take about two weeks off completely mm-hmm. just to let the body, you know, rest, get the information out. During those two weeks, I'll still get like massages and do some stretching and you no know, do like spa type of treatments, you know, total re- relaxation of the body. Um, but two weeks is all I need, really. Then I start back you know, gradually working out, you know, in phases, you know, you got your first few couple of weeks to get your body back going and then you ramp up, ramp up, ramp up. And as you get closer to training camp, you ramp it up even more. Younger players can work out right away, especially guys that didn't get a lot of playing time during the season or guys that are not injured at all. You know, they can work out right away and then take, you know, take three or four days of vacation when they want to and then work right back out again. Normally that's how it goes. You know, now vets, NBA vets are different. You know, they may take a little longer. <laughs> they may take a little longer, you know, spend some time with the family, take the kids and stuff to school and do stuff like that. Let the let the inflammation from their joints and their bodies, you know, totally recover and then start back working out after maybe three or four weeks, depending on who they are. It's definitely necessary to take, you know, at least a week or two off. Guys that start working out right away, they're still going to take time off. They're just not doing it right now. You know, guys might work out right now during the finals just so that they can get used to their bodies playing, you know, playing in later months. That's that's what I did when I played in New Orleans and we got eliminated from the playoffs in the first round. And then the next year we didn't make the playoffs. I continued to work out all the way into the finals just so that I can keep getting used to playing all, you know, just in case I made it to another finals. I didn't want it to be new to me again. And then after that point, when the finals was over, then I took a little, you know, took a little break, little vacation. And so sometimes that's what players do. They keep playing after the season's over, working out, working out. And then they might take, you know, a week for vacation and then start back again. The last thing I want to talk about, and I don't want to get too much into the detail, but it was a a big thing on Heat social media, is obviously uh, Tyler Hero and his girlfriend having a a child. And I'm not going to even, I don't even want to touch the discussion of it because I think it's, it's very unfortunate how some fans behave, but I, I wanted to flip it into, you know, from your perspective as a professional athlete, the noise, you know, that you get on social media, whether it's about your play, whether it's about your personal life, there's a toxic environment on a lot of social media. There's a lot of good on social media. There's also a whole lot of bad stuff going on. Right. How do you handle that? Well, you have to understand who and what's important. If you're a secure individual, it's never nice to hear bad things about you. But if you're very secure and your your family life and everything's in order, your friends and social life is in order, their opinions are the only ones that count. 
you know, and, and that's how you have to look at it. Millions of people comment about things. They don't know who you are. You're going to get paid the same way, whether those people comment about you or not. Life is going to go on. They have no impact on your life, really. So you have to go through life and be secure in yourself. And then also on the flip side of it, if you publicize your personal life and you publicize things in your life, you know, people are going to comment on it. If you don't like that or don't want that to happen, then don't don't post certain things or don't be on social media, you know, and that's the easiest way to stay away from it. You know, like for me, for example, I don't really put personal things on my social media. Well, my social media is not about my personal life. So I will never, me personally, I would probably, I don't want to say never, but more than likely I would never post like relationship stuff, you know, family things. I, I won't put that because I don't believe my personal life should be out there. I don't, I don't want it to be out there like that, you know? And so, but to each his own, some people like that. And so you have to take the good with the bad, you know, and that's part of being a professional athlete. And that's part of the social media uh, world. But I think some fans go overboard. You know, they get in front of a keyboard and say things on a keyboard that they would never say in your face. And you just have to ignore those people. You know, you're never going to win. It's somebody that you're never going to probably meet. <laughs> nope. So you, it's not even worth it's not even worth giving it energy, really. Yeah. And that's a great point, because you essentially control your brand, whether it's you or someone else posting it on your behalf, you know, managing right. your accounts, you know, it, it's a great point because you have players or athletes that do great things in the community. Some of them post it every time they do it. Some people are doing it behind the scenes all the time. Right. Um, you know, and, and it doesn't, it's not like you have to put it on Instagram for it to count. You know, exactly. you, you can be leaving the arena and give a kid, you know, uh, your shoes or sign a basketball. It doesn't have to go on Instagram to make a difference for that kid or the family that you helped by sending money or sending clothes or whatever it may be. You know, that's, that's the unseen hours. And, and you can talk mm -hmm. about that with training too. You have guys that post their workouts to show everybody what they're doing. And there's nothing mm -hmm. wrong with that. There's also right. guys that go to the gym and they put their phone away and they shoot, you know, a couple hundred shots. They work for four hours and none of it goes on social media. And that doesn't mean that they're not working. They might be exactly. working harder. So I love what you said, because that's, that's a great point, not just about the people that are maybe speaking poorly for Heat Twitter or Heat Instagram or whatever, but mm -hmm. also on the athlete side, how controlling your image, it's not good or bad. It's just what you decide you want to present. Absolutely. And you got to understand when you make a decision, there's pros and cons to those decisions. So when you put your personal life out there, you're putting it out there for scrutiny and for, you know, positive comments. And you have to just be secure in who you are. Be secure. If you're secure in who you are, then, you know, it shouldn't matter. As long as you know who loves you, who's really in your corner, that's all that should matter. Let's transition into the other eight games. So we're in the Elite Eight. I know that's, you know, more of a college basketball term, but we got the Elite mm -hmm. Eight. Uh, we're going to go through these four series and just talk about some observations, what we think is going to happen. We're recording this on Tuesday night. Bucks and Nets. We talked about last week how we were really looking Ooh. forward to this series, and uh, I don't know if it's how either one of us expected it. <laughs> yeah, it's for sure not what I expected. It's, it's, it's getting ugly. It's getting ugly fast. It's getting, it seems like it's getting uglier and uglier <laughs> as the quarters go. Yeah, that series is definitely taking a turn for the worst for the Bucks. You know, I was, I was thinking that the Bucks had the best chance of beating Brooklyn. If anybody could beat them. You know, obviously it's a tall order to try to beat the Brooklyn Nets with all that firepower. But, you know, I thought it was going to be much closer of a game. But the series is not over. 
Uh, each loss only counts for one game, whether you win by one or whether you win by 50 or whether you lose by one or lose by 50. It's only one game. So I believe the Bucks can rebound. I believe, you know, they can rebound after these first two losses and get it together. But it has to happen fast because I don't think Kevin Durant is slowing down anytime soon. The most explosive weapon in the world right now. I mean, oh, I think it's his time now. I think, you know, I, I think it's, it might be time to say, you know, you know, KD may be the best player in the world right now. Normally for me, it's always been, you know, LeBron, you know, is the best player in the world. But, you know, right now it looked like, you know, with the injuries and with father time, KD is healthy at the right time. I, I think it may be getting that it might be close to saying, you know, you know, okay. Some people are already saying it. And if KD keep playing like this, I might be ready to say it too. And it's doing it against Giannis. Yeah, that's why I'm that's why I'm almost ready to say it. Cause people don't just dog Giannis. <laughs> it's crazy because if you were to build somebody to guard KD, it would almost be Giannis. That length and athleticism and and the stuff that KD is doing off the dribble to create space against the guy that big and athletic. The reigning defensive player of the year, the reigning MVP. Yeah. It's wild. making it look making it look easy, but I I do I do believe Milwaukee can can, can get it turned around, but it, it needs to happen fast. And I think they need to take advantage of their side. I mean, Coach Bud is a good coach, and I would never tell a coach how to coach. But you know, they're trying. It seems like they're trying to play pace for pace, mano a mano, with Brooklyn, and that's I'm not sure if that's the way to, if that's the way to go, especially when you have you know some size matchups. Uh, you know, you may have to try to take advantage of that size. Yeah. And you talked a little bit uh, before we started recording about the speed, you know, playing at the pace of the nets when you're taking quick shots and then having to backpedal on defense and guard KD and guard Kyrie and guard these other weapons. It's taxing. I mean, it's almost impossible the way that you're setting up your defense. And we know the Bucks have a great defense, but when you're continually on your heels, I mean, it's the offense is bleeding into their defense and making it a problem. For sure, yeah, they're, they're shooting. The Bucks were one of the top three-point shooting teams in the league, and the first two games, they haven't shot the three-ball well, which we all know when you miss threes, that leads to leak outs, long rebounds, which leads to transition on the other end. So, you know, if that doesn't change, this series will be over quickly. But if they start to make some of those threes and kind of control the pace, I think they have a chance. Because I was looking at, look at the box scores, you know, they're giving up almost 30 points per, per quarter, at least – you know, they gave up 36 points in the first quarter in game two. That's that's too much. That's a tall task to try to score with a team that's scoring 30 points per quarter. You know, that's 120 plus points a game. Yeah, looking at their offensive rating, game one, they were right at a 100. Game two, they were at 93.3. And, and those are numbers that the Miami Heat were putting up in the last series. It's almost like everything is flipped. The Bucks are feeling our pain right now. This is how we felt last series, the way that we're getting they're getting their butts kicked. <laughs> Well, well, just for as a fan, I, I don't want this series to be short. I would like to see a longer series. So I hope that the Bucks, you know, get it turned around so that we can have a, a tougher series to watch. Yeah, I think not only, you know, Giannis, we talked about Lopez, but Chris Middleton, he's been almost invisible the first two games. And he played so well against us. Well, he's the key. Mm-hmm. If, he, if he can play well and, and score the ball efficiently to help out Giannis, you know, Giannis is going to do what he's going to do. Regardless of how he does it, we all know that he has some you know, limitations offensively, but Giannis is going to give you close to 30 points, double digit rebounds and some assists and some blocks. But he needs, you know, Chris Middleton to be able to hold up his end of the deal along with Drew. And, you know, and you know, Drew's going to compete on both ends of the court. 
And so, you know, he's he going to need Middleton to, to pick up that scoring because you know KD's going to score, you know Kyrie's going to score, and then you know they're always going to have another third guy like Joe Harrison or Mike James who's, who can also score, you know, in bunches. So it has to be a complete team effort. It can't just be Giannis. The guy that has continued to impress me all year is Bruce Brown, a Miami guy. I mean, yes. they play him as a center sometimes, and he's really like a shooting guard. I mean, he just plays so much bigger than he is. He flies in there and gets rebounds. He's just I – mean, it's so tough. They put him at the dunker spot, and he he's able to finish. He He's he's tough. Yeah, I just – I really he's like the way call, he plays. He's what you call a hooper. Yeah. He can just hoop. Put him on the court, and he's going to be all right. He can hoop. He's got that, uh, you know, like the irrational confidence, like where you can just tell the look in his eye that, like, he's like – KD, who's KD? Like, I'm the best player on the court. Like, give me the ball and I can take this over. But you need <laughs> that, right? I mean, you need that confidence and that that dog in you to go at guys. And that's that's probably how he got to the NBA. Absolutely. You gotta you gotta have some sort of confidence and some sort of chip to compete with the best. You're talking about the best players in the world. And so you have to have some sort of confidence in yourself in order to hold your own out there. All right. So let's move into uh the, the other Eastern Conference series. They're playing tonight. So as we record this. It is 1-0 Hawks. Big upset mm. on Sunday uh, yes. with the Hawks taking down the Sixers in Philadelphia. So did you get to watch that game? What did you see out of that? Yeah, I saw that. I saw ice cold Trey in <laughs> <laughs> a lot of it. And, I, you know, the Hawks, they have a lot of three-point shooters, and they're making them at a high clip. But, however, I do believe that as long as Joel Embiid is healthy, I believe that Philly is going to is going to win the series. I I saw how when Philadelphia started playing desperate and started playing, you know, real hard defense, how quickly they got back into the game at the end. I think they're going to come into game two with that same intensity and it's going to go on throughout the remainder of the series. I do think that Atlanta's going to still win, you know, it's going to win at least one, one, maybe two more games though. You know, you mentioned the the defense at the end. They they went to a lot of trapping, a lot of full court pressure. In the NBA, I mean, you see it in college. You see it, obviously, in high school where teams, they may press the entire game. A college team, you know, may press the entire game. Do you think an NBA team can do that, whether it's fatigue or whether it's risking fouls? Like, how do you see that from your perspective? Um, One, I don't know if players will want to do it. <laughs> but, but two, the ball handlers, the, the scorers are too gifted. It's too much space to try to press a guy full court. You know, and guys can pass one or two passes, you know, you're giving up a dunk at the other end if you don't get the steal. I, I just believe guys are kind of too skilled to try to press someone full court for a whole game. It would take a whole NBA culture change for that to happen because could you imagine someone trying to pressure, you know, Steph Curry the whole game? One, first of all, you're going to be tired. You know, second of all, I mean, his, his ability to dribble and pass, you know what I mean? Like, can you imagine trying to guard Dame Lillard full court? for a whole game that's that's a tall task and then think about LeBron and KD guys who can just see right over the defense pass right over the top of the defense I think spot spot traps you know spot full court do it in phases but to do it for a whole game I think I think the guys are too skilled at the game of basketball for that you know and to connect that to the heat you saw us run that 2-2-1 quite a bit this season mm -hmm. and a lot of times when like you said when we did it too much the other team starts to figure it out. And it's not like a 2-2-1 is complicated. You know, you reverse the ball, you try to hit the guy in the middle, and it's broken. But it was more, to me, about controlling pace. It exactly. Slowed the you know, it slowed the tempo down. 
you maybe you're starting your offensive possession at 16, 17. Yeah, exactly. So limited that possession. It wasn't so much about where you may see in a high school game, a trap around half court in a two, two, one, something like that. You're not doing that in the NBA because the guys are going to break it. Exactly. And you got, you got guys that deadly shooters when you leave them wide open, Mm -hmm. when you, when you put in two on the ball consistently and they swing, swing, you got guys, you know, we all shoot spot up shots every day, you know, 250, 500 shots a day. You know, anybody can make swing, swing, wide open three if you give them a, a heavy dosage of that. All right, let's move west. Let's go west here. Um, the Nuggets and the Suns. So it's 1-0 Suns. Uh, I will say that I could not stay up that late. I went to bed. I watched the highlights. I read into the mm-hmm. you know, the storyline. Uh, it's kind of what I thought. I thought the Suns, Suns were going to win. I think that they're the deeper team. What, what did you see out of that game, and what do you see in the series? Well, I'm going to be honest with you. The Suns are surprising me with how well they're playing in the postseason. This playoffs is showing that the teams that were eliminated early or that didn't play in the bubble are fresher. That's why most of those teams are still playing right now. And, you know, Phoenix ended last season on a very high note, and then they were able to get a lot of rest. And so those guys are fresh, young, confident bunch with the leadership of Chris Paul and Monty Williams. And James Jones, shout out to James Jones, you know, the champ mm-hmm. from Miami Heat, you know, champ, you know, they're doing a great job out there. And so they're surprising me with how well they're playing this postseason. And I believe that, you know, they they get through this series, you know, I, you know, <laughs> the sky's the limit. We could be talking about a, you know, a New York Phoenix finals here, you know, depending on what happens. But I'm not ready to go that far yet, but they're, they're looking that good, though. I mean, you mentioned James Jones, you know, getting Chris Paul when a lot of people said he's too old to be making that money or trade for that contract. He's not going to hold up. I mean, look at him, a borderline MVP candidate. You know, he's not going to win it, but he's right up there in that in that list of 10 guys, roughly. Jay Crowder, great defender, small ball, big. Uh, three and D guy. Three, Perfect three and D, D exactly. Yep. Uh, the, the Bridges, imagine Bridges. He should be in Philadelphia. They traded him. How great yes. would he fit in Philadelphia? Uh, man, yeah. I mean, it's it's just right up and down the roster. Everything he's done has been like perfect. DeAndre Ayton, yeah, I, he Dang. he went toe to toe with uh, Jokic the other night, and and he outplayed Davis the series before. And I know he was hurt, but I mean, goodness, yeah, he holds his own for sure. Yeah, it's you're exactly right. If they can get through this series. I think I like Brooklyn. That. Brooklyn's going to be the favorite as long as they're in it, but mm-hmm. they are to me. They're the team to beat in the West. That that would be my pick if you made me pick one right now. Well, I I don't know because the Clippers, what they just went through, getting through this series might lead them to the finals as well. So it's going to be True. interesting. Right, and so then let's... Utah, you never never want to count out Utah, you know. But they, you know, they got to show me a little bit more. So what do you see? So let's go to that last series. It's Game One tonight as we're recording it. Clippers only get two days rest. They just played game seven on Sunday. They got to travel to Utah for game one. What do you think happens in the series? Yeah, I think Utah takes game one just because, like you said, you know, two days rest, the altitude in Utah. Utah's ready, been waiting for them. I think the first game, I think Utah going to take advantage of that the home court advantage. This is going to be a good series. I'm, I'm actually looking forward to this series. I, and I think Luka, Luka was a great segue to move in to playing against Donovan Mitchell. What do you think about, 
you know, in, in the first round, the Clippers obviously had an enormous challenge. You know, they, their backs were against the wall. They were down 3-2. They won the last two games. As opposed to, you know, you look at a team that maybe swept, like the Bucks, swept the Heat in the first round. Mm-hmm. We didn't provide a lot of resistance. How do you feel, you know, is it better to get a little bit of a challenge? Obviously, you don't want to play a lot of games, but if you get through without a challenge, are you not ready when the, you know, when the intensity gets ramped up? be honest with you, it don't really matter. It's just a matter of what's in your mind, you know, because you want to take care of business. You know, you take care of business, there's less injuries, less wear and tear. But then when you have tough playoff challenges, you get battle tested, you get battle ready. So both has its advantages, both have its disadvantages. It's all in your mental. And also sometimes, depending on if you have an older team, you know, older teams want to get it out the way so they can rest. But, you know, really it's all about your mentality. If you if you think that you got too much rest, then guess what? Then you got too much rest. If you think you got beat up and had too long of a series, then that's what you're going to think. So it's all in your mind. And if you have the right mindset, it doesn't really matter. All right. So we'll, we'll allow this to get edited each week. But June 8th, we want you to pick your finals and then pick okay. your winner. So who do you think as of right now on June 8th? As of right now, I would say it would be Brooklyn Nets playing against the Clippers and I say the Brooklyn Nets would be the champions as of what I've seen. <laughs> I like it. I, I think I hinted towards it earlier a little bit. I think I'm going to go Brooklyn and Suns, and I think the Nets, as much as I don't want them to win, I think the Nets, they look too good right now. So we have the ability to change this each week. So we'll revisit this as we continue through the playoffs. If we need to edit our picks, as we move forward. So we're going to move into our last part here. We posted to get some listener mailbag questions. So to see, you know, people on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, and uh, I got more than enough questions. Uh, So we're going to try to get to these as we go through the next couple of weeks, but I picked out a couple for tonight. Uh, So I'm going to start with Nando on Twitter. And he asks, what really were those infamous Miami Heat training camps like? And how would they compare to the training camps and other stops like New Orleans and Oklahoma City? Well, training camps were very competitive, you know, in Miami, obviously very, very competitive, high level, high skilled, but also fun. The one thing about one thing about playing in Miami and playing in, in the Heatles era, we worked hard and we played hard. <laughs> so we, we worked hard and, you know, pushed each other and had battles in camp. But we also, you know, was able to enjoy each other's company and relax. I know when we was in the Bahamas for one training camp, you know, it was tough for practice. But after practice, being at the pool, you know, eating food, you know, having, you know, card games and such, you know. So those those infamous practices were very, very competitive, but fun. New Orleans, it was also it was different because it was a different playing style. You know, my first year there, I got traded, so I wasn't at training camp. But the second year playing under Coach Gentry was playing kind of like the Mike D'Antoni style. So we did a lot of running, a lot of transition because we, you know, we believe in playing faster, more possessions on offense. So that was a lot of a lot of running, a lot of full court, you know, offensive drills and, and shooting. That was fun too, but taxing. And then um, I, and I wasn't in OKC um, for training camp. You know, I came after the trade deadline, so I wasn't able to experience that training camp. But, you know, the difference in style of play determines the training camp. So New Orleans was more of a fast pace, you know, Mike D'Antoni style, because Gentry obviously was an assistant to D'Antoni. And then playing for the Heat, it was a high, high competitive, you know, the red team versus the black team. Let's see who wins today. And whoever whoever won the first day probably wasn't going to win the next day. <laughs> All right, so our second question, we had a ton of questions about that infamous – Ray Allen shot game six of the finals. 
and the reaction that you had to it. So, you know, let me paint the picture. If you're not familiar, if you're not familiar with this play, you're probably not listening to this podcast, but let me paint the picture for those that might just be tuning in that have never seen it. So Ray Allen hits a three in the, in the right corner. If you're looking at the basket, the heat bench is directly across the court. And I actually counted, you count, you jump 11 times during that possession before the ball is stopped. Uh, and the officials are going to review to make sure that Ray's feet are behind the line. So if you've never seen it, Norris looks like he is on a pogo stick. He's like 15 feet into the air on some of his jumps, but his reaction as the ball leaves Ray's hand is not a like, Oh my God, I hope it goes in. It's a heck yeah, this ball's going in. We're about to go to overtime. For sure. Um, so I described it from the outside viewpoint. What was your viewpoint on that legendary play? The play was drawn up for LeBron to take the shot. Um, I thought he was going to make it at first because he had carried us, you know, in the fourth and brought us, helped bring us back. And so when he missed and CB got the rebound, you know, he gave it to Ray and Ray did the backpedal. But people don't know Ray used to do that every day, like in practice and his, his routine. He backpedals and shoots and then he goes and does it. He does it however many times for his routine. And so when Chris got the rebound and threw it to Ray and Ray took his little two, two and a half step backpedal shot and elevated to shoot, I could see the line of the ball. And so I knew it was going in. It was like he had made it so many times when he was in Boston like that. I'm like, I'm looking at the ball. I'm like, man, this is about to go straight in. Like I can see it. And obviously as a teammate, you always want to speak life into your guys on the court. Because when I'm on the court, I want the guys on the bench to be cheering for me and, you know, be amping me up. And so when I'm on the bench, that's what I try to do. I try to amp up the teammates, keep the spirit alive as a team player, because, you know, I'm a team player. When you have confidence in your guys, you know, good things happen. And so I had the utmost confidence in myself, and I had the utmost confidence in those guys. And so when Ray shot it and I saw the line of the ball, I was like, oh, it's going in. And so it was just I was kind of jumping, just waiting for it to go, you know what I mean, Wait, <laughs> waiting for everybody else to know, because I knew it was going in. And when it happened, it was like it was like the coolest thing ever to live in a to live in an NBA classic game, to be a part of it and see it. And, you know, it was crazy, man. It was great. And just how it happened. Like everyone thought we were going to (laughs) lose. Everyone thought we were going to lose. And all we said was just take it one play at a time. That's all Coach Bo said. One possession at a time. And that's what we did. Ended up. Ended up winning. And you had a better seat than I did, but I was living in Hilton Head at the time and I drove down for that game. And I was sitting in the lower bowl on that baseline. And similar to you, in a way, we were just above about rim level, okay, distance wise. So about 10 feet up the lower bowl. And uh, if you actually, the the video, if it's looking down towards that end, if Mm -hmm. you raise shot, the track of the ball, you'll, you can see me. I know where to look, but I'm like crossing my, my hands. I'm like, I'm nervous, not sure right. if it's going to go in everything, but uh, you could tell from the trajectory of the ball, I think it's going in, you know, and then I, I, I didn't yeah. react like you and I can't jump like you anyways, if I could react that way, <laughs> but you know, to your point, everybody, and that's the game where everybody left. Unfortunately. Yeah, we re- Oh, we remember, trust me. We remember. That's why you, what, what they say is never over until the fat lady sing. <laughs> and she wasn't, she wasn't singing yet. No. She wasn't singing yet. And I remember that, you know, a lot of people in that section and those were good seats. People left and it cleared out, you know, unfortunately too quick and missed out, man. They missed out on the historic, Mm -hmm. a historic shot. (laughs) I didn't miss it though. (laughs) No, no, no. I was there. I mean, I, 
there were times where you you had some doubt, but at the end of the day, we got that win and then forced game seven and 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 obviously won the championship. Business. Absolutely. Shout out to Ray Allen, man. Yeah. Shout out to Chris Bosch for that rebound. Mm-hmm. Chris, you know what? I'm going to have to get Chris on the show. You just put that book out. I know. Yes, he did. I have a copy. <laughs> All right. So, Chris. I'm going to have to call Chris. He Nation, right. what y'all think of that? Yeah, there we go. We'll look forward to that. We'll, we'll let you know when Chris is going to be on the show coming up soon. Absolutely. Uh, we got two more questions. This one is from Reddit. It's from Mostly Lurking is their username. And they ask, is there one big difference that sticks out about playing in the NBA and playing in Europe besides the language and culture? So maybe you can touch on that, but also maybe just the basketball. Okay. Well, you can't leave out the language and culture because that's just part of it. practicing, being in the arena in an environment where they're speaking different languages. You know, the culture, you feel all of that. Even while you're playing, you feel it. But other than that, the way that they see the game is different. The rules are different drastically. There's like in the NBA, there's no defensive three seconds. I mean, there is defensive three seconds. In Europe, there's no defensive three seconds. So the big can stand in the paint all day long. You know, so the effects of a pick and roll is a little different than the spacing and the effects in the NBA. Do you play with – the goaltending where you can jump up and tip it out. Yeah, you can. If the ball is sitting on the rim, you can knock it off the rim. You don't have to wait for it to get off the cylinder. You can dunk it back in the cylinder offensively. And you can, as a defender, you can knock the ball off the rim, which is significantly different than the NBA. The tactical fouls, you know, the way they foul out here, you know, is different. Some of the fouls that they do out here might be considered, you know, flagrant, you know, in the NBA the way they foul and tack like they foul on purpose. You know, they call it tactical fouling. You know, NBA players definitely wouldn't like that. And the coaches control the game a little bit more than players do in Europe. You know, and the, the NBA is all about the players. You know, the best players, they control the pace, they control what happens. In Europe, for the most part, the coaches control everything. They control the medical staff. They control the play, the pace of play. They control playing time, they control everything, you know? So, and that's a big difference in the NBA because you all know the NBA is player driven. Yeah. Those are the biggest differences. The game is slower. You know, the game is played at a much slower pace. One, because the athletes are not the same. The athletes are much better in the NBA, but they shoot better in Europe. You know, they, they shoot the ball, you know, much better in Europe. You know, you got guys that shoot a whole, a whole season, they shoot 50% from three, a whole season, you know, multiple guys, you know, you got multiple guys that shoot, you know, 50, 40, 90 sometimes in Europe, you know, in the NBA, you obviously 40% is a great three point shooter in Europe. If you shoot 40%, you might not be the best three point shooter on your team. What's the distance guys, on the arc? The distance is shorter. It's like, uh, it's the, co- it's, I think it's the same as the college line. I think the college line move, move back to international, to the international line so yeah the international line is a little shorter i think the corners are the same but but the wings are a little bit shorter but yeah the 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 athleticism and the talent in the nba is 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 better for sure but the tactics the shooting the defense is a a little different you know in europe plus score matters in europe they they do point margin so it matters if you lose by 40. Like if you beat a team by 20 and then you lose by 40, that, you know, that point differential can make the difference whether you win or lose or get first or second place in Europe because it matters if you win by one point. That's why they play to the end of the game. Even a team that's losing by 20, 
they gonna keep playing to try to lose by like maybe 10 or 12 because point spread matters. So they just they just they just look at the game different. The rules are different. And I think they do it on purpose because they don't want it to be the same as the NBA. What do you think, you know, in terms of translation, you know, if someone, whether it's someone starting their career in Europe, you know, whether they come from America and the college system there. Mm-hmm. transitioning over to the NBA. I mean, you're someone that started the NBA and then went to Europe. Mm-hmm. Is it is it a hard tr- to go, I guess, either way? Is it hard to go from the NBA to the European style or Europe to NBA? Yeah, it depends who you are. It depends on your skill set and, who, and what's, what level of player they expect you to be. If you're an American guard and you, you're not a shooter, it's going to be probably harder for you in Europe. No matter how well you can handle the ball, you know, unless you're an exceptional, exceptional passer, it's going to be tough for you in Europe because you have to be a threat to shoot, you know, for spacing. If you, you know, if you if you're a guy who can't shoot the ball, you like I said, unless you're an exceptional passer and unless you're exceptionally fast, you're going to struggle in Europe because it's hard to get to the lane and get a layup because the defender doesn't have to. He doesn't have to move out the paint. There's no defense of three seconds. And then vice versa, guards in Europe, most of them are slower than the guards that come from America. But the ones that are not slow, the ones that, you know, that are that are pretty quick, they can play in the NBA because they already can shoot. Um, they've been playing pro since they were, you know, 16 years old. So they're used to playing against men. And so the ones that are that are quick and athletic, they can translate. They can translate to the NBA because the NBA is less physical, so they'll be driving to the basket and be like, man, no one's touching me, you know, but but they'll have to get used to the athleticism at the rim, you know, layups. Sometimes you can get layups in Europe at the rim, you know, you, you might you might be able to catch a big late, you know, and lay it up in the NBA, you know, guys with 40-inch verticals, you know, they're going to get that. That'll be an adjustment, but I think it's an individual thing because, like, you had Luka, for example. He dominated in Europe and he's dominating in the NBA. That normally doesn't happen. And then you have guys like who weren't so great in the NBA or were role players in the NBA are stars in Europe. Like Shane Larkin is a star in Europe. Mike James, who played Brooklyn Nets, is a, you know, he's a star in Europe. You know, I'm one of the leading scorers, you know, in EuroLeague. But in the NBA, I had to play my role. It's all a matter of your of your skill set and, and, and your attitude. Like if you're constantly trying to compare it to America and to the NBA, you're going to struggle in Europe. You can't try to compare. You have to accept it for what it is. And the same thing, if you're a European player and you go to the NBA and you keep trying to compare it to Europe, you know, you're not going to like the experience. And so you have to have an open mind. And I think players that have an open mind are the players that last and players that are mature because in Europe, they treat you like a man. You know, you don't, we don't always fly private. Some teams do. But most teams don't, you know, in the NBA, the team handles all your paperwork and do everything in Europe. You know, they make you do your own paperwork, <laughs> make you fill out your own forms and everything. And so, you know, it takes some maturity to, you know, to play in Europe. All right. One last question. And we talked about that championship run. Um, so Don Paul on Facebook asked about the green van. So though you want to tell maybe the listeners that may be unfamiliar with that, there was a van and it goes back to your childhood, right? Mm-hmm. What is the green van and what's its history? Yeah, so, you know, the Heat, you know, they was doing a story. You know, they do stories on all their players in the background. And it was, you know, my you know my turn to do the story from my background, where I was from and, you know, where I came from and my winning tradition. You know, I won at every level. And it was one thing that was constant in every championship I ever had, you know, from Pee Wee to state championship in high school to college conference championship. 
was all, you know, I had that green van. And so the heat caught, they caught wind of it. And they was like, well, you know, they talked to my parents. I didn't even really know. They talked to my parents and was like, how about we bring that heat van down and keep the tradition going? And so <laughs> my mom and dad clearly said yes. And man, I showed up and seen my green van. I said, cause I saw it at first. I said, man, that thing looks familiar. And I was like, man, I walked over there and said, man, that's my van. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, they was like, yeah, we're doing a story on this thing. We want Heat Nation to sign it. And I was like, ah, we'll see. I ain't know. I didn't think that it was going to be that big a deal. But Heat Nation, man, they, they mess with the cold train heavy. You know, they support the cold train, man. And I, I appreciate Heat Nation. I didn't know they showed love like that to me and my family. But I love that. And, man, it's, it's all white now. The green van is all white. You know, we still have it. It's like a personal museum. And it's, it's probably going to stay in the family unless, you know, some Heat Nation fanatic, you know, make a deal on it that we can't refuse. But right now it's going to stay in the family. Okay, yeah, I, I, we talked beforehand. I came down for a game and I got to sign it. So somewhere in that uh, mess of Heat fans, Heat Nation signature. Man, it's literally all over. Like, it's no room. It's white. Like, I, I looked at it one day, one summer, and I was like, Wow, Heat Nation really signed this van. All of them. That's a one it's of crazy. one, right? No, it's there, definitely doesn't... a one of one for sure. <laughs> Do you have anything before we close up? No, sir. I just want to say thank you to Heat Twitter and Heat Nation for supporting our show. Another episode. We're coming next week. Shout out to the nation. Yeah, and so next week we're going to be hosting a live show. We're going to switch it up a little bit using the Locker Room app. Uh, if you've never used Locker Room before, it's easy to download. You can set up the app, make an account using you know your Google account. And once you have that account, you can join rooms, interact with other sports fans, talk sports using your mic or talk in the chat. Um, and so we're going to test this out, kind of get it a, a more of an interactive way of uh, running the show. And for more information on that, just check out my Twitter. It's at Philly Heat NBA. And we'll have more details on next week's show coming soon. And we out. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.